Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 17 through 32. If you're able and inclined, uh, please stand for the reading of the Gospel. One day, while Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what their hearts were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. morning. So there is a remarkable, really inspiring ministry out of the Los Angeles area called Homeboy Industries. Perhaps you have heard of it um, or its founder, Father Gregory Boyle. Homeboy Industries is the largest and many consider the most successful gang intervention, rehabilitation, and reentry program in the world. They provide hope and opportunities for those who have been involved in gangs, as well as those who have been incarcerated. After Father Boyle began serving um, a Catholic community in this Boyle Heights neighborhood, not named after him, by the way, but Boyle Heights neighborhood in the 80s, he could not ignore how the prevalence of gang violence impacted families um, and especially young people, even in his congregation. Homeboy started as a job training program and the first business that was created to provide employment was Homeboy Bakery. This is now one of almost a dozen businesses and social enterprises that trainees can participate in while pursuing healing, wholeness, and making an income. 
Some researchers at UCLA spent time analyzing why the model at Homeboy Industries works and what makes the difference in gang intervention and rehabilitation. Professor Georgia Leap, who herself has spent countless hours and years of her life in gang communities of gangs, fellowshipping with them, she uh, shared her expertise in a UCLA magazine. It says, what our research shows, Leap said, is that Homeboy has created a therapeutic community through its emphasis on the relational, forcing former gang rivals to work side by side and talk. You can't hate someone you sit across the table from, she said. I think that Homeboy Industries provides an interesting parallel or partner in our conversation with the Luke texts for today. The folks at Homeboy choose to engage with a population that many deem too risky or unworthy. They treat them like human beings, provide opportunities for healing and walk with them in that process. And in that process, participants in their programs can learn how to interact with those that they have deemed as enemies. As Jesus begins his ministry in the Gospel of Luke, he too begins to make some choices that raise eyebrows, to put it lightly, um, especially the people with, who he, with whom he chooses to spend his time and to call into his inner circle. One of Pastor Andrew's statements from last week speaks to Jesus's spirit-filled, countercultural way of living to which we are called as well. He said, if we trust Jesus as the same God who gives us the same spirit, and fills us with the same spirit, then we are joined with Jesus as his apprentices to do the same work of renewing creation and proclaiming liberation to those who are marginalized and to those who are oppressed. To be a follower of Jesus is not just to have this personal relationship with God, but following Jesus also has implications on the created order. So an appropriate question after last week's message, our intro to this Jesus by Dr. Luke series, an appropriate question may be how. How do we participate in this work of renewing creation, especially among those who have been cast aside in our society? Last week, Andrew started by orienting us to the echoes of the symphony of renewal that God has composed and has already been playing I wanna share a few observations from uh, this passage, from these scenes in Luke that may guide us into how we can continue to be formed as apprentices of Jesus, shaped by how he is a friend to those in the margins. We're gonna talk about how Jesus celebrates the breaking down of barriers, how Jesus affirms the power of community, and how Jesus blesses a community of misfits. As Andrew preached last week on Luke 4, the presence and the work of the Spirit in and through Jesus is central to this gospel of Luke. Jesus has gone through a time of temptation in the wilderness. He begins his ministry in Galilee, sets it off with a bang. Luke 4 says he uh, returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and began preaching in their synagogues and teaching. But then he goes and preaches in his hometown, proclaiming Isaiah 61. Starting in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
This proclamation sets the tone for all that is to come in the Gospel of Luke. And the many hearers in the temple who probably have heard this passage before, they hear it in a new light. These are not just the words of the prophet, but this new teacher says that they are fulfilled right now. The kingdom has come. And this is in full view as Jesus heals the paralytic and welcomes Levi as a disciple in Luke chapter 5. From the beginning, Jesus is subverting our expectations about who he spends time with, who he calls to be his disciple, who he, spend, uh, who he chooses as a friend. Jesus is a friend of the margins. Who we think we know, Jesus knows a lot better. One of the themes throughout Luke is different groups of people trying to figure out who is in and who is out. Different players obviously have very different opinions on this. The religious elite don't have space for heretics. The average classes and the poor don't tolerate and are offended by their fellow Jews who have become tax collectors. These first century Jewish communities as a whole have certain understandings of what makes a person clean or unclean and what separates others from fellowship. But Jesus celebrates the breaking down of barriers, especially barriers that prevent people from making it to him. In the healing of the paralytic, we see a physical and visual manifestation of this. The paralytic's friends hear Jesus' teaching, and this is their chance to try to get him some help. Starting in verse 19, the text says, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. These friends couldn't find a way in, so they made a way. And Jesus recognizes this as true faith. The Reverend Dr. Justo Gonzalez has a powerful commentary on this scene. He says, on the one hand, the text tells us that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. But on the other hand, the text also tells us that this power was not available to some who were outside the house. Jesus had the power to heal, but that power was imprisoned, held in abeyance by the multitude around him who kept others from approaching him. Now, who is it that's blocking the way to Jesus? Perhaps it's the townspeople, the great crowd who's curious about Jesus' miracles. But Gonzalez again points out how Luke actually paints a slightly different picture. He says, according to Luke, those blocking the way were seated Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Oh, so we may think, of course, it's the Pharisees and the religious elite who are preventing someone from getting to Jesus. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. While this may be true physically in the text, can I invite you to be a little curious with me? In his book, Justa Gonzalez also brings up another important point. These Pharisees, teachers, and leaders had come from every town in Galilee, from Judea, and even Jerusalem. This initial description doesn't indicate that every teacher was against Jesus or came to hear him teach out of malice. 
In fact, the text from the end of the scene may indicate that the Pharisees, some of the Pharisees and the leaders were among everyone who was amazed and gave praise to God. It says they were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. As Luke seems to be showing us a different way of seeing what it means to be a follower of Jesus, perhaps we can be open to seeing a group of people such as the Pharisees differently. Author Diana Butler Bass um, had a tweet thread. She wrote a great book uh, called Freeing Jesus, but she talks about um, something related to this topic in the relationship between the Jews and the Pharisees. And she reminds Christians that the Pharisees themselves are the origin of rabbinic Judaism, which Jesus participated in as a faithful Jew. And I wanna note as well that in our history as the church, villainizing Pharisees has been used in anti-Semitic rhetoric. And we need to be careful when reading scripture and to not make assumptions about our Jewish friends and their faith. So what might these points teach us? Well, some of the people we, we might characterize as being against the way of Jesus might have genuine hearts for holiness and for pursuing God's presence in the world. And that can be an open door for pursuing the way of Jesus. On the other hand, perhaps we can identify ourselves in the position of those who have maybe a lot of religious knowledge, status, and we all make a real effort, you know, to commune with God. You're here today to hear what God has to say. But in so doing, could we sometimes miss those standing outside waiting for a way in? Could our very act of faithful observance be creating a barrier for others to come into? Jesus witnesses the breaking down of the barrier between him and the paralytic, and he calls it faith. This moment is also an important indicator of how Jesus values and affirms the power of community itself. Jesus' affirmation of the friend's faith, as I'm sure you may have noticed, that affirmation is plural. Starting in verse 18 again, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. There's something powerful about the group's determination to get their friend in front of Jesus. When Jesus responds with forgiveness and healing, he is providing the paralytic not only with physical healing, but with communal belonging. Gonzalez again says this well. He says, the people who brought the paralyzed man could probably have elbowed their way into the circle if they had been willing to leave behind the lame man and his bed. If they had only been seeking their place in the circle, it might have been easy, but they were not. Their commitment was such that either they entered together or they would not enter. Flashing forward to the end of the passage we read today, Jesus goes to a party hosted by his new friend and follower, Levi, the tax collector. I just wish I could see this party. <laughs> Here and throughout the whole gospel, Jesus prioritizes time spent around the table. 
the Gospel of Luke mentions eating 31 times. Professor Joel B. Green says in his commentary that shared meals symbolized shared lives, intimacy, kinship, unity throughout the Mediterranean world, and that the teachings of the religious elite did extend the holiness of the temple to one's household and what you ate and with whom you ate. So based on those standards, the ones at Levi's party don't exactly fit the holiness category. But Jesus chooses to share life with them in a direct, intimate way. And he does this before many of them choose to even follow him. Jesus blesses this community of misfits and invites them into a kingdom life with him. This community that Jesus fellowships with isn't a homogenous one. It isn't a place that has barriers to entry. Let's read the message translation of these last verses. Starting in verse 29, Levi gave a large dinner at his home for Jesus. Everybody was there, taxmen and other disreputable characters as guests at the dinner. The Pharisees and their religion scholars came to his disciples greatly offended. What is he doing? eating and drinking with misfits and sinners. Jesus heard about it and spoke up. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders, an invitation to a changed life, changed inside and out. I love Eugene Peterson's use of the word misfits here. In the eyes of the religious elite, the people that Jesus is choosing to spend time with simply don't fit. This is how the Cambridge Dictionary defines misfit. As someone who is not suited to a situation or who is not accepted by other people because their behavior is strange or unusual. I know that we've all done this before. I tell my friend about somebody I met um, or somebody I might be forming a friendship with and I'm not sure about the friendship. And they say, well, are they weird? Like, what, what's the deal? And we all have these different classifications for what makes somebody a misfit, what makes somebody someone who just doesn't fit the norm or fit in with our own circle and community. But Jesus is pushing the boundaries of our understanding here, pushing the boundaries beyond if someone is strange or weird, just doesn't quite fit the mold. He's asking us to consider those who we might look down upon for genuine and kind of understandable reasons. People who we think have crossed the line in an ethical way, um, or even according to our faith. And it reminds me of the late John Lewis's perception of the beloved community as he worked in uh, racial justice and in the civil rights movement alongside Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. A vision of people who come together not to assimilate, but to come as themselves into a community that is purposed on the flourishing of all people. Here's what Father Boyle from Homeboy Industries has to say about compassion toward the marginalized or misfits, if you will. 
He says, compassion isn't just about feeling the pain of others. It's about bringing them in toward yourself. If we love what God loves, then in compassion, margins get erased. Be compassionate as God is compassionate means the dismantling of barriers that exclude. He goes on. In scripture, Jesus is in a house so packed that no one can come through the door anymore. So the people open the roof, lower this paralytic down through it so Jesus can heal him. The focus of the story is, understandably, the healing of the paralytic, but there is something more significant than that happening here. They're ripping the roof off the place, and those outside are being let in. Perhaps in our understanding of the margins and who in our, who in our daily lives, in our culture, in our city, who lives there, Perhaps in some ways, we are the creators of the margins. Both those that prevent ourselves and prevent others from making it to Jesus. We might be the ones blocking the way to Jesus, even as we are listening to him. But Jesus' message and invitation are wider and deeper than we could imagine. Yes, it is Jesus himself who, in Mark, says that the way is narrow and the gate is small that leads to eternal life. This is true. At the same time, Luke's Jesus shows us that those who find and who choose the way wholeheartedly are not always those who we would expect or even choose ourselves. Maybe this person is you. Have you wondered or believed if something about you, your past or your present, prevents you from coming to Jesus? Beloved, know that Jesus' invitation is for you. Jesus, like a doctor, maybe even like Luke himself, does not come to heal the healthy but the sick. And don't let the margins created by the enemy or your own mind prevent you from coming to Jesus. Beloved, know that Jesus' invitation is for you, it's for your friend, for your enemy, for the person you are not sure deserves it. May we all be empowered by the Spirit to truly live out the generosity and margin-free way of Jesus. Amen.